Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 343, join Big Al are talking real estate and life insurance. First, what is a home equity line of credit? And is a HELOC a better idea than a traditional mortgage? What are all-in-one mortgage loans? Does it make sense to ditch apartment living for condo ownership or just keep investing for retirement? Next up, it seems that a few of you have some old whole life insurance policies you no longer want or need, so the fellows spitball some ideas on what to do with them. Then, just to mix things up a bit, Big Al explains ABLE accounts for individuals with disabilities, and the fellows talk about whether to take your Social Security before or after moving to a no-income tax state. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Go to yourmoneywealth.com, click on Ask Joe and Al on the air, and we'll answer them right here. Uh, you can send an email or send a voice message. Uh, Michael sent one. Hi, Joe and Al. A great show. Really looking forward to your next episode. Thank you for everything you do. I have a question about real estate. My wife and I own a property in the suburb, uh, live in a house in the suburbs. And before COVID, I commuted into a major metropolitan city. My commute was up to one and a half hours each way. And when COVID is over, I'll have to return to that. And we are considering investing or buying a second property, like an apartment or a condo in the city that I would live in four to five days a week to cut down on the commute. And by the way, we have about uh, $50,000 to $100,000 to uh, make a down payment on the property because uh, properties in the city are quite expensive where we live. My question is, I have read that there are uh, HELOC options that can take only seven to eight years to pay down a full mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage. Are these HELOC options real? And can I do that having an existing mortgage on my home in the suburbs and how would that work or do I have to go with traditional financing again thanks and look forward to your response uh all right thank you Michael you know I, I think a lot of people are going to be doing this um, and I don't know if COVID is ever going to be over I think it's well I forever. don't I don't know either and I think some of us are probably going to work from home forever yeah. Right? Or at least part-time work. Andy, are you ever going to come back? Raising my hand over here. I don't know if yeah. I will or not. <laughs> I don't think I've seen you in person since uh, March of 2020. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about it. I, th- I think the last time I might have been in the office might have been in maybe May of 2020. So as yeah. Far, as far as I know, Andy, you, you are now a two-dimensional figure. <laughs> I don't... Hopefully one of these days we'll be able to change that. <laughs> but um, so Michael's in his car quite a bit. Hour right, and a half, right? You know, then COVID hits, and then sure. he's like hanging out at home and, and enjoys. I, I, maybe he's excited to get back to the office. It sounds like the office is maybe saying, "Hey, it, yeah, come in, yeah, or, you're, you're gonna it, have or to, find another job." Right? Yeah, it's it's time, right? And he's looking. All right, well, maybe I just buy a little little place in the city. Right. So he's got a question on the HELOC seven eight years. Well, uh, well, first of all. Let's, let's talk about a traditional financing versus a HELOC. Traditional financing is you go and, and you, you, you try to qualify for a mortgage. Generally, it's a 30-year term. Sometimes it's 15. Sometimes it's 10. I mean, it's, you, you kind of have choices on what you pick. Uh, and that, and it's, it's, it can be a fixed rate or it can be variable. More often than not, people are opting for fixed rate loans right now because interest rates are so low. Uh, HELOC is, is generally home equity line of credit. Uh, that's where 
it's it can be flexible. In other words, you get a five hundred thousand dollar HELOC home equity line of credit. You can withdraw the whole five hundred thousand. You could withdraw three hundred thousand. You could pay two hundred thousand back tomorrow if you get a lump sum from somewhere. So it's very flexible. And you can get a HELOC on a on a property that doesn't have a first mortgage. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the here's the problem. The problem is HELOCs are generally variable interest rate. So you're taking a chance that interest rates may go up. Now, if you get a traditional 30-year loan or a 15-year loan, you could pay it off in seven or eight years. You just have to increase the payments. The reason why it's a little bit easier maybe for a HELOC right now to pay it off in that amount of time is interest rates are so low. So variable rates are lower than fixed because for obvious reasons, because they could go up later. So I think that's the only risk in the in the HELOC strategy is, is if, if you don't pay it off quickly, you may have much higher interest if interest rates, in fact, go up at some point. There's no magical math with not, some of this stuff. Not really. You, you hear some of the commercials, though. Yeah. Right. And it sounds great, right? It, it accelerated payoff mortgage. You can pay off your mortgage in X amount of years and say all this money and interest. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just have to pay more to the principal up yeah, front. Which you can do anytime. Anytime. Any, any loan. Right. I mean, well, I won't say any. there are some exceptions on some loans, but th- that's unusual. Typically, you well, can- like prepayment you, penalties and right, things like right. that. So, some commercial uh, loans for commercial properties have prepayment penalties, but most loans that, that you and I would be able to get, have, there's no prepayment penalty, so you pay as much as you want. And sometimes, Joe, what happens is people get a 30-year loan just, to, just for flexibility, but they, they go ahead and run an amortization schedule. It's like, what would I need to pay to get this paid off in 11 years or whatever the time frame you want, and just make that payment. And then if circumstance changes and you don't have that much income, just go back to the lower 30-year payment anytime you want. Hopefully that helps. Uh, Good luck, Michael. Uh, Let's see what Jim's got to say. What's your opinion of all-in-one mortgage loans in today's environment where homes sell so quickly, period? Um, All right. All-in-one mortgages. I don't know what he's really talking about in, in regards to this, but we could I can well, take a stab at yeah, what I'm thinking he's, he's yeah, asking. I, I think all-in-one mortgages are ones that combine savings account, checking accounts, and a home equity loan. All-in-one mortgage, meaning this, Joe, meaning that you can you have access to the payments that you make, right? They go into a savings account. You could actually spend them. You may have additional equity from a home equity loan. And I think in some cases... The extra money that's in your savings account just temporarily pays down the mortgage, so you pay less interest. So you don't have a checking account. Your paycheck is directly deposited into this mortgage. Into the mortgage. And so so you temporarily have a lower mortgage, so you have a little bit lower. And then if I got to pay bills, I'm taking out a home equity line. Yeah. You're, yeah. Kind basically, of. you're adding to your mortgage. And, and, and you're taking from your mortgage. Yes. And so you have this fluctuating balance. Yeah, you do. And so the idea is potentially that you can pay your mortgage off but quicker because but do you think that do you think that happens no i don't i think it's the opposite probably i think happens. the opposite too and i'll tell you why it's because unless you are very Super disciplined, disciplined it, you're basically going to spend your home equity which is exactly what happened in the 2000s right and even yours truly did some of that you got it <laughs> um so I guess that's our opinion. So we don't really like them, Jim. Uh, mainly just, I mean, the concept's okay. It's just that it makes your home equity so easy to spend that that's what we find people spend it. And so then you then you end up, you, and you spend it on vacations or you spend it on a nicer car or you spend it on new television, stuff that you really shouldn't be spending money on. Sure. 
I don't have an opinion on them. I think if you're super disciplined, it could work out for you. Well, agreed. I, I just would say for, for most people, I would not recommend it. You know, there's other apps that are coming out that if you have spare change or you round to the dollar or things like that, some of that goes into a savings account. Sure. Um, I, I think this was like a similar concept to that. Yeah, where except bigger dollars, a lot bigger dollars. Yeah, right. I, I used to have that and drive, drive me crazy every day. <laughs> 44 cents into savings. It's like after a year, I made $8. Akiko. Akiko from Washington. I'd like to know what's a better strategy to maximize my money, either buying a condo, 360,000 with a 50% down payment, or continue to live in the apartment I live in, in Seattle. One bed, one bath, paying $1,600 a month and invest in stock bond for retirement. Okay. I have $360,000, 90% stock plus 24% cash. No pension, no 401k. I save about $300 a month either way. Currently, I have $1,350 a month for Social Security. I'm 61 and my income is $45,000. Planning to work until 70 years old. I appreciate it. If you could give me some advice. Thanks so much. First of all, we don't give advice, uh, but we can chat about this. So he's contemplating. I'm paying rent or should I buy a house? It's kind of the question, right? Yeah, that is the question. Um, right now, the rent on his one bed, one bath is $1,600 a month. Right. Should he take some of the cash he has and get a down payment and purchase a home? So, so I'm just going to do. A so little- he wants to either buy a condo is is the condo worth 360,000? I think that's what he's saying. With a 50% down payment? Or is that the down payment? No, I think that's I think that's the I think that's the uh, yeah, that's maybe the market value. I don't know what is what is real estate and can you can you buy a condo for 3? Yeah, I would imagine you could buy a yeah. condo for $400,000 in Seattle. Yeah, it might be on the cheaper side, but sure. Well, look at the big wallet on Big Al. Well, it'd be an area I wouldn't go to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out the the payment here. Hold on, you, you got me sidetracked. Okay, so so if you put fifty percent down at a four percent interest rate, it would be eight hundred sixty dollars a month for principal and interest. So that's pretty good. I don't think they need to put near that much down. I know. Uh, of course, you got property taxes and maintenance and homeowners fees on top of that. So. But it, it, let, let's say he, if he has a $360,000 mortgage, um, his mortgage payment is going to be $1,600 a month. Yeah, that, that's right. Seventeen eighteen is the, is the mortgage. So, but that, you know, I think he's trying to, he's trying to make it comparable because whatever the homeowner's fees is probably higher and the property taxes and, and whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I think that it's that age old question. Do I buy or do I sell? Are, are these comparable places? Is the, is the place you're buying as good as the one you're renting in right now? The- right. So there's some lifestyle questions there. I mean, in general, Owning real estate in, I would say, I'll, I'll make a generalization on the West Coast has been a pretty good investment over the long term and probably will continue to be. And I, I put Seattle into that category. Here, you got to, here's how I look at this. He's got $1,300 a month or $1,600 a month going out and rent. Right. Can he buy something that he would be comfortable with, with an equivalent out the door payment? 
And so that payment is roughly 350,000 bucks. If you find a place for $350, your mortgage payment on 350 or 360 at 4% is roughly $1,600 a month. Yeah, that's right. Okay. But then of course you have property taxes, you have maintenance, and there's other expenses that go along with home ownership. Yeah. And the, and the homeowner's fee on a condo can be pretty high. Okay. However, you lock in that payment for life at 61 with your paying rent of $1,600. Next year, that could go up. Next year, that could go up with inflation. Right. We're seeing rents increase. Big Al's a landlord. All he does is knock on people's <laughs> doors and increases their rent. Right. So you look at, he's 61. You yeah. go out to age 71, 10 years. Now that $1,600 a month payment might be a lot higher than that. Yeah. And I think that's the reason why you end up liking buying because you get a, you have a fixed payment. I mean, maybe taxes go up a little bit and homeowners a little bit, but your mortgage payment, you know, you get a fixed rate loan these days with rates being so low, that would be fixed. And so over time, your, your housing expense is going to feel lower and lower with inflation. Um, okay. So I think, I think generally I'd like to buy, but I think it's also, like I said, it's lifestyle. If, if the condo is that you want to buy is comparable to what you have that you're living in, then probably go for it. If it's, if it's not, then, then you got to make a lifestyle choice. Is it worth it for me to have a lesser place, but kind of lock in the the payment? So, um, hopefully that helps. Right. With the the information that we have. Yep. In all this talk about home ownership, mortgages and home equity lines of credit, one option that Joe and Big Al didn't touch on is the reverse mortgage. Dr. Wade Fow is an expert on putting your home equity to work in retirement. And he explained the reverse mortgage strategy in detail on YMYW episode 168 way back in 2018. Visit the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and learn three ways a reverse mortgage can supercharge your retirement. But is what you have saved for retirement enough to get you through retirement? Find out. From retirement income and social security to investing, taxes, and healthcare, our free retirement readiness guide offers seven strategies to ensure you're prepared for a secure retirement. Both the reverse mortgage episode and the retirement readiness guide are free and waiting for you in the podcast show notes. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get there. Bob from Monterey, California writes in. He goes, hey, Joe, Alan, Andy, I enjoyed listening to the show on Morning Runs. All right. I submitted a question before, but you didn't select it to answer. So I figured I'd try again. Uh, I'm not much for small talk. Bob, love you already, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But he gave us some info. Yeah, but here's the personal stuff you enjoy highlighting. Uh, My wife and I are both 55 empty nesters. Do-it-yourself vanguardians. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Vanguardians. I love it. I think I've got to be a vanguardian. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, living in monterey california three adult sons all living on their own drive a 2016 mazda mx5 and a 2004 toyota rav4 all right have an 11 year old golden doodle named max don't drink much but enjoy a corona beer uh when i do have one Uh, wife is enjoying being at home i plan to work another 10 years as a federal employee i'm also retired army officer with a pension well, thank you very much for your service. Yes, agreed. Uh, we'd like a second opinion about what to do with real life insurance policies that we no longer need. Meaning, 
if either one of us dies, the death benefit money would just be added to other savings and investments. Our net worth is about $3.5 million. Our home worth, $1 million, paid off a $1 million in a brokerage account, primarily index mutual funds, $800,000 in a Roth IRA and target date index funds, uh, $700,000 in the TSP target date mutual fund. Here's the policy information. Okay, mine. Wife is beneficiary, $5,000 whole life policy. My parents bought me in 1966. Annual premium is set for $51 annually. Annual dividend um, is a uh, year is 178. Death benefit is $10,000 and cash value is 6,000. Okay, so that's one. What, yep. what would you do with that one, Al? I'd cash it out. So he's been putting in $51 a year right. since 1966. Yep. So it was $5,000. So the death benefit went from $5,000 to $10,000. So we got an extra you know, $6,000 of um, death benefit. Yeah, five and a half. Five and a half. So I bet sure. his, his cash value isn't $6,000. It's $5,495. Could be is what I'm guessing. Could be yep. because it's a probably and, a tier anyway, two life insurance policy. I'm, I'm just going to take his number at face value and say, well, the bet the death benefit of ten thousand four ninety five six thousand is already your own money if if these numbers are right. Right. So you're paying fifty one dollars annually for the five thousand dollars of life insurance yeah, or forty forty four hundred. Right. So yeah. I, well, first of all, it's too small to worry about. So and secondly, it's it's not. I mean. Yeah, you don't need the death benefit. No. You don't need the insurance it's anymore. It's like, why'd have the policy? Well, maybe it made sense way back when, but not anymore. Okay. Uh, number two, mine with wife as beneficiary, a 20-year, 50-year-old whole life uh, policy. My parents bought me back in 1986. The premium stopped after 20 years, and now the dividend pays for more insurance. Annual dividends this year was $1,000. Death benefit is 102, and the cash value is 52000 so I would keep that because he's got leverage, right? He doesn't necessarily need it, but the, he doesn't have to pay any premiums. There's no premium dollars going in. 52000 is already in. So th- here's the math is he is, well, hold on a second. He, so here's the math of what you have to figure out. And I don't sure. have time to do the math, but you look right. at $55,000. He's 55 years old. If he cashes that $55,000 out and let's say he lives another 30 years. Right. Right. So then you look at, well, what assumed rate of return do you think he can generate on the $55,000? Right. So maybe he's conservative and says, I, maybe it's two or 3% per year, or maybe it's seven or 8%. Right. Whatever he feels is appropriate. Then you just do that future value calculation. If it's higher than a hundred thousand dollars, you might want to cash it out. But if it's around a hundred thousand dollars, you got to look at what your internal rate of return is. So you're really looking at as a, an investment at your death. 50,000 is what it's the cash value is. So can you take that 50,000 and grow it higher than tax-free $100,000 to your heirs at your passing? Then you keep the policy. If you think you can outbeat it, then get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the right answer. I would cash it out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, my wife uh, with me is beneficiary $100,000 whole life policy bought in 1996 um, at the birth of my first son. Uh, annual premium is $850. Annual dividend this year was 554. Death benefit is $127,000. Cash value is 33,000. 
uh, let's say you, Al, I can already tell you probably what you're going to say. Well, again, I would probably cash it out because I don't necessarily need it, but th this one is more, I'm more likely to keep this one. Main reason for me is the cash value is a lot lower than the death benefit. So there's actually some life insurance value here. Yeah. But you're also paying 850 bucks a year. Into you're paying 850 bucks a year for about a hundred thousand of life insurance roughly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, could you do better? Yeah, you could do better. You can get a term policy and probably spend that same at age fifty-five, spend thousand bucks and get a million or at least half a million, yeah. right? Depending upon your health, right? So you can do better if the if the goal is life insurance. But the, this one, at least, there's there's some life insurance value relative to the cash value. I would still get rid of it personally. Bob, these are not recommendations. <laughs> no, these are just these thoughts. are thoughts. These are chatting. Just what Go. I just what I would do. Yeah you know, um, hope that helps. Uh, Margaret writes in from Austin, Texas. Um, hi, Al, Joe and Andy love Annie, Annie, Ooh, your new name. That's the first time I've actually been called Annie. Well, Annie. my, my wife is Annie. Maybe that's yep. where that came from. I'm, I'm sure reading. it is. I'm sure it is. Keep reading. <laughs> love the show. Uh, my husband and I recently decided we want to get out of this whole life policy that his parents set up when he was young. We have $55,000 of gains when we do this. We currently do 100% Roth into our 401k, which puts us right at the top of the 24% tax bracket. My question is if we should wait until next year to break out of the whole life policy and switch our contributions to pre-tax um, to create $40,000 uh, $40, of room in that 24% tax bracket. Seems like a good idea, uh, but then I'm having anxiety, missing out. Uh, $40,000 of Roth contributions. Don't you get anxiety missing out on Roth? Well, you, you, have to, you have to sleep at night. So if you've got anxiety. I mean, Roth is all powering. <laughs> is that what you think about? The I do. It explains yeah. a lot. <laughs> I just can't wait to count my Roth sheet, you know? <laughs> Your Roth sheet. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good does that help you go to sleep it does, it or, or does. get you all excited you get all jazzed you don't sleep a little bit of both Adam. a little bit of both okay uh seems like a good idea but i'm having anxiety missing out on forty thousand dollars of roth contributions and starting to doubt if having a few thousand extra in our brokerage account due to the last taxes of the earnings is worth it what do you think a little bit about us we're in our mid-30s both engineers believe tax brackets will only get higher Probably will be in high tax brackets until we retire, uh, maybe in our early 50s. Uh, we work for the same company that allows after-tax contributions, so we've been maxing those out and converting those into the Roth. Um, and we did an out-of-plan conversion just to get our Roth IRAs open. Okay, We spend roughly $160,000 a year, including two kids in daycare, have about $2 million saved with 80% pre-tax, 12% in Roth. 8% at brokerage count. I drive a 2014 Forester and love Malbecs and Raujos. Riojas. <laughs> Riojas. Uh, following up, oh, here we go. Andy, I am so sorry I wrote your name wrong in my earlier question. I totally forgot that you're. Really thought was your name was Annie. Annie, after listening to the podcast. Do you know if I can, if they can answer my question on that podcast? That's the only show I can listen to faithfully when I'm driving. Wow. Margaret from Austin. Yeah. We can answer your question, Margaret. Absolutely. 
what is just it? because you asked yes. nicely. Right. <laughs> and, what, is, um, what is the answer? The, here's the answer, Margaret, <laughs> is that you roll the $40,000 from the whole life. Um, if you want to get rid of it, you can move it into a, like a very low cost variable annuity. And then you could slowly get rid of the $50,000 in the variable annuity each year. Slowly if you over time. To. Take as much out as you want. To. You know what? No, I changed my mind because, because they're only 30. You can only take out 10% plus there's a penalty. Yeah, right? there's a 10% penalty. Yeah, right. They could take out as much as they want, but it would yeah. be a 10% penalty. But if they didn't have any growth, the 10% penalty is only on the growth. Yeah, and if they, ca- um, if they cash it out, it's still the 10% penalty plus ordinary income. No, no, no. Uh, on the, not on the life insurance policy. Oh, I'm thinking of, yeah, okay. Right. Never mind. So $55,000 of gains. Oh, you were, um, you were saying roll that into an, an low-cost annuity. Yes, Got you it. can move up Got the it. cash value of life insurance into an annuity if you want to get rid of the life insurance. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then, then you can get rid of the cost of insurance. Better the, when you're 59 and a half. The money still grows tax deferred. You don't have, in, sure. in, until you pull the money out at 59 and a half, then it's going to be, the, the earnings right. will come out as ordinary income. But if she, if they cash out the life insurance, the 55,000 of gains is ordinary income, but there's no penalty because it's life insurance. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So um, I actually, Margaret, I actually like your idea. I would, that's exactly what I would do. I would do it next year and I would change the 401k contributions to fully with uh, deductible. I don't really like paying tax in the 32% bracket, you know, if you can help it. Right. So that I, yeah, I agree with that. I don't like it because I, I would be anxious too. <laughs> Because you'd be missing a year. I would be missing but, but a year. They're already doing the the garage door, back door, mega Roth. So they're, they're already getting plenty in the Roth. They got $2 million out. 80% of it's pre-tax. I understand. And they're 30. Yeah. I, I'd rather get the I'd rather get the money out of the life insurance policy at age 30 and have that grow in a capital gain environment. That's what I would do. Plus, they don't need the, the, the life insurance anyway. But they got two kids in daycare. How much is it? Here, this is, here's another bet. But here's something else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you got fifty. They they probably need life insurance of some degree. Sure, but is this the right policy? Probably not. So take the fifty five thousand dollars and put it into another policy. Ten thirty five exchange it into another policy because you have two kids, right? Are they they have the two kids in daycare? Yeah, two kids in daycare. Yeah, they have one hundred sixty grand. They both make a ton of money. Um, it's on the husband, so maybe he needs a little bit more life insurance. Maybe with this, because he got it when he was a kid. Sure. The life insurance is probably worth seventy thousand, with a cash value of fifty-five. Right. I'm guessing. You take the fifty-five thousand dollars, you roll that, and you buy something else. You're thirty years old. You're fully insurable. You probably get preferred rates, and you could buy several hundred thousand dollars as a totally paid-up policy. Sure. Unless you want the fifty-five thousand, I'd still cash it out. <laughs> the reason is because I, I'd rather have the money in a non-qualified account. Then I would get a couple million of term insurance, which is super cheap at age in the thirties. In their thirties, that's what I would do. Okay, <laughs> I would have to shop that. <laughs> I agree. They need life insurance for sure, unless they have some life insurance, and we don't yeah. know. Yeah, we right, right. So, but that's I mean, why it's called a spitball. 
Your, uh, your, so your idea is decent though, because you can roll it into a more appropriate life insurance product. So I'm, I'm talking taxes. There's two ways yeah. to avoid the taxes on it. You could roll it into another life insurance policy with a lot higher death benefit. That's probably sure. more suited for you. Or you could roll it into a low cost um, variable annuity that avoids the tax. And then you can try to maneuver the money out um, at a later date. I sure. don't love the second option. Yeah. Um, because you're, you, there's a penalty to get the money out. All right. Or here, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Get, there's a penalty to get money out of the, 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 the annuity. annuity. Don't change your Roth. Keep going with the Roth cash out of the life insurance and then just pay whatever percent on the life insurance and move on with your life. Yeah. I wouldn't do that, but I get it. All right. What should you do with old life insurance policies or annuities you were sold? What kind of mortgage is right for you? When should you take Social Security? Does Roth conversion make sense given your financial situation? Are you on track for retirement? If you have questions like these and you're listening to Your Money, Your Wealth and you haven't asked Joe and Big Al on air yet, what are you waiting for? Your questions are what makes this show. Well, that and the way Joe reads them and how the fellas get completely derailed talking about your cars and your pets and your drinks. Anyway, click on Ask Joe and Al on air in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and send in your questions, comments, suggestions, corrections, or stories to be featured on YMYW. Now, for a free one-on-one comprehensive assessment of your entire financial plan from a certified financial planner professional on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors, click the Get an Assessment button button in the podcast show notes. There's no cost and no obligation. So why not sign up? Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and get started. Uh, we got Ken from Granite City. Kenny, he's yep. back. Yep. Yeah. Granite City. I, we always talk about beer with that Granite City. Don't we hear something like that? Keep like rolling. He actually tells you his beer. Oh, look at that. Right. Second sentence. Hello, IMYW. Still listening and still loving the show. Thank you. See, here's what happens with listeners of our show. Al. Right. At first, they're like, you know what? This is, it's too much. It's, it's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> and then it grows on you. You give it a second chance. <laughs> you, got, you have to. You got to give it just a little bit time to breathe. True. You know, it's like a fine wine. Right. You know, and then... Uh, then after a while, some people are like, okay, this is just the same old BS. This is, yeah. this is awful. And some people, it's like, they like this financial humor. It's like, okay. So, uh, Very cool. yeah, Kenny from Granite, Granite City. Um, so, yeah, he's still loving the show. Thank you. Uh, primary piece of business. Uh, my beer of choice is Stag. Stag. Stag beer. You ever had Stag beer? No. Me never ne- heard of it. Me neither. Stag. And then he says, Grandpa's beer is my beer. <laughs> Looks like it has a deer or oh, elk yeah. a stag yes yeah, that's, is that yeah. is that old school i might have to it must try be that. That well he cool. says grandpa's beer so i assume that it's old school i'm guessing yeah is that grandpa that picture with the beer that might glasses? be yeah it could be twice as big as his head yeah i like a, a beer glass <laughs> twice as big as, as my your head, head. Yeah. yeah okay got it so um, add that stag. to your drinking list joe all right um i will add that i'm stag beer if, if grandpa likes it i i like it because i like old school beer yeah you do like all right um, okay, however, I'll sometimes have a Coors Light on hand while listening to YMYW. He's got to get in the spirit. Yes, right. right? Um, a few weeks ago, there was a discussion on ABLE accounts, and it was the first time I ever heard of such a thing. I am blind. I have the letter from my optometrist. Optometrist. Okay, whatever. <laughs> See, he's blind. I can't read. Um, have the V2A. What, what is that? 
Uh, that I don't know. Okay. On my state ID and have received SSI in the past. However, I'm currently working um, and in the 24% tax bracket. Am I eligible to open an ABLE account for myself? What are the rules, details, and benefits of an ABLE account? Well, let's talk about ABLE accounts because they're, they're rather new. 2014 is when they came into existence. And what it is, it's a tax advantage, advantage savings accounts for individuals with disabilities and their families. So that's where it came about. The beneficiary of the account is, is generally the account owner and the income earned by the accounts will not be taxed. So in other words, you get money in, it grows, you use the money for, for expenses related to your disability and there's no taxation on gains. So it's, it's, it's a little bit like, um, I don't know, like an HSA account, except it's for disabilities, although you don't get a tax deduction going in. So there's a little bit. What would be a related expense to a disability? Isn't all expenses related to the disability? Well, because you asked a qualified expense is means any expense related to the designated beneficiary as a result of living a life with disabilities. It could include education, food, housing, transportation, yeah, okay. everything, employment, training, support, administrative technology, personal support. Yeah. Pretty Stag, much, pretty much, pretty much everything. Stag, Stag beer. beer. Yeah. Didn't say that, but <laughs> that's, that might fall under food. <laughs> so let's talk about who can open such an account uh, because there are some restrictions here. Uh, the ABLE uh, Act limits eligibility for opening accounts to individuals with disabilities with the age on onset of the disability before turning 26 years of age. So in other words, you, you have to have had this disability when you were 26 or younger. If you got it later in life, you're not able to open this account. So, uh, and if you meet the age requirement and are also receiving SSI or SSDI, Social Security Disability Income, you're automatically eligible to open the account. If you're not receiving those disability payments, you still may be able to open it uh, as long as you've got a letter from your physician and then this and that, that sort of thing. You can put in 15,000 a year and every state has limits as the upper limit as to how much you can keep in the account. So... I actually looked up uh, Illinois and it's uh, 450,000. So that would be the total you could put in an account. California, it's 529,000. It's usually between, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand and 500,000 based upon the state that you're in. So anyway, that's a little bit about the ABLE accounts. Wow. Very good, Al. Thank you. They're actually... Uh, oh, boy. If, if more. You, if you, if, oh, here we go. <laughs> I thought we were well, moving on. I didn't, I didn't get, get any commentary. So they're great accounts uh, if you have uh, had a disability uh, and uh, before age 26. I mean, they're fantastic, really. Great. Okay, that's all. That's okay. all I got. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I'm going to bust through this. Greetings. I turned 68 at the end of 2021 and have amassed all my social security benefits living in California. I plan to wait until age 70 to collect and am considering moving to Washington state uh, part to escape state income taxes. I'm seeking advice on how best to make this transition. Does it matter if I file in California and then move to Washington or is it best to move to Washington then file? Thank you. Please advise. He's going to move to a non-tax state. So sure. if he moves halfway through, he's looking at, it doesn't matter when he files or what state he lives in when he files. Is he talking about filing for social security social benefits security. or yeah. tax returns? Well, I already he says he's amassed all it. of his social security benefits living in California. Okay. Right. But, but he, he knows now that 
there is no state tax. There's no California tax when you claim your social security benefits in California. So it makes no difference. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And either way, whether it's tax or social security makes no difference. So any other tax tips for this guy that's moving to a non-tax state when he should file maybe his return? Yeah. So when, when you move, I mean, so you're going to have two returns that year. You're going to have part year California, part year Washington, even though Washington doesn't have a, have a, have a filing. Uh, and uh, unless you move on December 31st, if you happen to move on that date, it's even simpler. Voice to text, Malbecs and Riojas and living next to Mexico in the derails at the end of the episode. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call us at 888-994-6257 and schedule your free financial assessment video call. Doesn't matter where you are in the country, chances are one of the certified financial planner professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement plan. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advise not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Homes sell so quickly, period. <laughs> period. <laughs> that's, uh, so we know when he ended his, his thought. That's good. Do you ever, um, do you use that feature on your phone? I, All yeah. the time. But when I, when I do say- Do you really, Andy? Oh yeah. I, and I, it always gets it wrong. It does. When I say period, it types out the word period. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Kelly Bowie uses yeah, that, and does. it drives me absolutely because, nuts. Because there, it's the it wasn't really what he said. I, I read it like he sends it to me, and I don't understand what the heck he's talking about. But then I hear him doing it. Um, Dear Alan, comma, would you like to go grab a beer later? Period. Period. How was your weekend? <laughs> Question mark. I'm like, you just you're driving me nuts. Just right. call him. Yeah, Are right. you that lazy? Just pick up the phone and call the guy. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, my mother has just. I, I mentioned in the podcast last week that my mother broke her wrist. That has come in super handy now for her to be able to use voice to text. Oh, oh, well, there you go. Okay, so well, there is then, a reason for it. There you go. Well, yeah, unless you have a broken wrist. Well, <laughs> here's another one: when you're trying to text them while you're driving, don't do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Malbecs, it's a wine. I like Malbecs. Yeah. Rioja. 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 I know, I know. I oh, wow. You know? Wow. I don't, I've never had re. Is that like a, it's like a ro- rose or a. It's a, that's actually a Spanish wine. It's a red. So okay. it's, it's, it's a, it's dark. Okay. Yeah. Malbec. Got it. Okay. I, I, I had no idea. I did know how to pronounce it though, because I have lived next to Mexico for years and years. Oh. The J. You is... used to live in Mexico. No, for I, years I've and lived years? near Mexico for years and years. Oh, and... San Diego. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I mean. Yeah. I just envisioned something totally different. Got it. Got it. Um, I should say that. Where, where, where about well, you? Can... Live? I live next to Mexico. <laughs> where do you live? Well, then it, I, I've learned how to put, like 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 La Jolla. Right, it's not La Jala. Sure, it's La Jolla. So J's are like H's. Got it. 